If you've ever wondered what it's like to be caught up by the Spirit of the Lord into an exceedingly high mountain, Nephi could tell you all about it. It was there that time and space seemed to roll together as a scroll, offering Nephi a remarkable view of the future. In a vision spanning centuries, Nephi beholds everything from the birth and ministry of Christ to the gathering of Israel in the last days. He also witnesses the onslaught of darkness, desperately tightening its grip on the souls of man. It is in this era today that the Lord is working a great, marvelous, and everlasting work. Armed with righteousness and the power of God in great glory, it is the opportunity of every follower of Christ to bring about much good in His name. I invite you to join us in our study of 1 Nephi chapters 11 through 15 of the Book of Mormon and encourage each of us to seek divine inspiration. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I've learned that God loves me and I've learned it through the tender mercies or the little things in life. I felt God's love for me when I've been noticed by Him and usually that's through Him hearing my prayers. I've learned to um, know that God really knows me and He loves me personally. It's not um, He knows of me, but He knows me on a personal level. I lost my mom a few years ago from cancer and a friend remembered that and reached out to me on Mother's Day and just said, I'm thinking of you. I'm sure you miss your mom. And that felt like a little bit of a nod from heaven. I've learned that God is always like there for me in my certain and like specific trials and that He can always help me with um, my personal things because He knows me. What I learned about God's love for me is that it's very personal and that it's um, ongoing. That even when I feel like I can't feel their love, um, if when I change or shift my attitude or make small changes, I find that it's there and it's always been there. Welcome everybody to our discussion on 1 Nephi chapters 11 through 15 of the Book of Mormon. My name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Rosalind Welch. Rosalind is a senior research fellow at the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship. She holds a PhD in early modern English literature from the University of California, San Diego, and a BA in English from Brigham Young University. Welcome, Rosalind. Thanks, Ben, I love to be here. And next to Rosalind is our special guest, Jackson Vanderwerken. Jackson grew up in Schoharie, New York. He served a mission in Sao Paulo, Brazil for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Jackson is a budding entrepreneur and actor. He's married to his beautiful wife, Olivia, whom he met on the set of the Book of Mormon series while portraying Nephi. Welcome, Jackson. Thanks for having me, Ben. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. Our discussions today are built around the scriptures and complemented by the resource, Come Follow Me. Additional study and teaching material is available at byutv.org slash come follow up. Okay, Rosalind, would you mind giving us a kind of a bird's eye view of what's happening in these chapters? Yes, to understand 1 Nephi chapters 11 through 15, we have to go back a couple of chapters. Okay. 1 Nephi 8, this is Lehi's dream of the tree of life. So he shares with his sons the, the dream that he's had and Nephi takes all this into his heart and his mind and he longs to see it for himself. 
And in chapters 11 through 14, we get to experience alongside Nephi an amazing vision of the history of the world. So he sees Christ's ministry and visitation among the Nephites. And then he sees all the way up to the present day where history takes us to where we are now. The restoration has occurred and we are wrapping up and preparing for um, the second coming of Christ. So the first topic we're gonna be looking at is God sent Jesus Christ as an expression of his love. Where do we see that specifically within these chapters? Well, we especially see that right here at the beginning in chapter 11. We know the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is love. So Nephi desires to know and to understand the things of God. Let's look in 1 Nephi chapter 11, verse 12. And it came to pass that the Spirit said to me, look. And I looked as if to look upon him and I saw him not for he had gone from before my presence. And it came to pass that I looked and beheld the great city of Jerusalem and other cities and the city of Nazareth. And in the city of Nazareth, I beheld a virgin and she was exceedingly white and fair. So he shows him Mary, the mother of Christ. And he, he tries to get Nephi to put these things together. And then the spirit asks him, knowest thou the condescension of God? And Nephi replies, I know that he loves his children. Nevertheless, I don't know the meaning of all things. And he says, well, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the son of God after the manner of flesh. In verse 19, Nephi sees that she's carried away in the spirit and she comes back again, holding a child in her arms. And the angel says to him, behold, the lamb of God, yea, even the son of the eternal father. Now knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? In verse 22, and I answered him saying, yea, it is the love of God, which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of children of men. Wherefore it is the most desirable above all things. So he gets there. He understands who the savior is, that the savior embodies the love of God and that the tree represents the savior and that love. I love it. Thank you so much, Rosalind. Jackson, as we're talking about Nephi, how do you relate to Nephi and this idea of wanting to know something so bad and the Lord kind of taking you to that place where he can reveal his truths? Yeah, I mean, this isn't the first time that Nephi pondered in his heart about the things his father said. He did back in Jerusalem and kind of went through minuscule experience of a sort when he asked the Lord if what they were doing was right by leaving Jerusalem and he got the answer that it was. I can relate to that immensely, especially in wanting to understand, like Nephi, the mysteries of God. And it's an ongoing revelation, I feel. It's not something that, you know, like Nephi's vision is open and closed and you have all the answers. It's more of, you know, you are continually pondering, continually asking, and the Lord is revealing them to you in bite-sized pieces through his word, through experiences throughout your life. So I personally am going through that, you know, in terms of asking God, wanting to understand his his doctrine, his church, and him revealing that to me in bite-sized pieces so that I'm able to follow in Christ's footsteps. And what does that look like for you, Jackson, to receive a little bite of truth, a little bite of knowledge? I, I get a lot from the scriptures, and I also personally get a lot from movies. And, you know, that I, being an actor, that kind of makes sense, I guess, but like, I feel like movies are very powerful. Mm -hmm. So in the portrayal, like Nephi essentially watched a vision Oh, it was like so a movie, you know? Yeah. about that way. And so I feel like that's powerful and that media can be a source of inspiration 
and that has been consistent throughout my life. So I think it's important to recognize that it doesn't have to be necessarily within the scriptures that you can feel the spirit, but you can also recognize it in your day-to-day -day activities. That's, I love that. You know, it's interesting. There's this really interesting tidbit here, right at the beginning of chapter 11. In verse one, Nephi is caught away in the spirit of the Lord, yea, into an exceedingly high mountain, which I never had seen before, and upon which I never had before set my foot. And I've, I've wondered about that. Why does the Spirit take him to someplace so unfamiliar? And I think part of it is that when we are opened to new things, we're especially sensitive to the Spirit because some of our, mm -hmm. our old preconceptions, our old routines that kind of dull our experience are stripped away. And that's a very powerful moment when the Spirit can, can teach us. Yeah, and in a more literary, symbolic sense too, mountains are also in the scriptures referred to as holy ground mm -hmm. and in temples essentially. And it would make sense that the Lord would bring Nephi to such a sacred place to show him such marvelous things. And specifically to show him, to let him gain that witness, that personal witness that he is loved by God. So Jackson, just having you uh, sit here across from me, I can't help but think about being on set. What experiences did you have portraying the character of Nephi that helped strengthen your testimony and draw you closer to Jesus Christ? I mean, there were several. I mean, throughout the whole filming of the Book of Mormon videos, I just kept drawing parallels. Before getting the role, I had a really hard time relating with the prophets. And in fact, I kind of put up this glass wall between me and them because they were so much better than me. They were called of God, they got to see visions. And I was just a kid trying to be good, you know? And, and in studying Nephi's life and having the opportunity to portray him, that's what Nephi was, just a kid trying to be good. And I, I learned on set that Nephi was extremely young when he left Jerusalem. And I thought I didn't have the chance of getting the role because I was so young. But in fact, he was younger than what, you know, how old I was when I received the opportunity. So just things like that, that helped me to realize that, okay, there, isn't, there, there doesn't need to be a divider between us and God. It can be Jesus right next to us. And that helped me realize how much more Jesus could be my friend rather than him being out of reach. Thank you, Jackson. So good. I would love to hear from the audience on how has God revealed his love to you personally? Mindy. So I remember when I was going through an especially hard time in my life, feeling like, do I even matter? Does anyone love me? And just, I opened my scriptures up and I turned right to the verse in John that says, um, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And I just, and then I felt such love right then. And I knew that, you know, that Christ was, was answering that plea in my heart for, to know, you know, if I was loved and I really, I felt his love and I felt this assurance that he would be with me through this trial and this hard time. And I was really grateful for that experience. Mindy, beautiful response. Thank you so much. Jackson, I'm gonna ask you the same question. When have you felt that God was really looking at you and saying, Jackson, I want you to know that I'm aware of you and that I love you. The probably best example of this is when I was a youth, I kind of was at a loss in a sense of purpose. And I just wanted to know that the Lord loved me to where I could help him. And it was a day that I was just reading in Doctrine and Covenants that I came across 11 verse eight. It says, verily, verily, I say unto you, even if you desire of me 
so shall it be done unto you. And if you desire it, you shall be the means of doing much good in this generation. The timing of reading that and my desires let me know that God was aware of me and my desires and that he wants me to help him in this work and that he wants me to be his friend. And so uh, that was a really powerful experience that I had in my youth. Were there, have there been moments in your life where you feel like that was being fulfilled? That you really felt like, okay, he is using me to do good? Yeah, multiple times. And the Lord is really good at picking me up when I'm at my lowest. You know, I try to, try to carry my own cross a lot of the time and uh, he carries me. Um, shortly after that experience, I, I received the opportunity to play Nephi in the Book of Mormon videos. And since then, I've had multiple experiences that have followed the same sort of pattern where the Lord has picked me up and shown me that you are worth it and that he loves me. Thank you so much, Jackson. So Rosalind, we see in here, there's several images that could represent the love of God. Do you mind talking about how these all connect to Christ? Yeah, so Lehi's dream has two purposes. It's not meant to just teach about the love of God, but it's meant to give Lehi himself the experience of the love of God. So part of what the spirit of the angel want to do is, is just teach Nephi what the elements of this dream mean. So we can look here in, in chapter 11, verse 25. It came to pass that I beheld that the rod of iron, which my father had seen was the word of God, which led to the fountain of living waters, or to the tree of life, which waters are a representation of the love of God. And also I beheld that the tree of life was a representation of the love of God. So this is kind of an introductory way of learning. And this is how Nephi teaches his brothers. Um, when he comes back with them, he kind of explains there was this image in dad's dream and here's what it means. But that's just the first step. If we stop there, I think we haven't really encountered the scriptures with the depth that we should. So that is why I think the angel and the spirit um, show Nephi Jesus Christ, right? They show him at work among the people. And we can see it. Let's look here in verse 26. And the angel said unto me again, look and behold the condescension of God. So literally condescension means that Christ was willing to leave his celestial glory in heaven and to come down to experience all that we experience with us and alongside us. That is the love of God that we really seek to experience in this chapter. I love how Nephi describes that it is the most desirable of all things, this love of God. And fortunately for us, we know how to get there. Through this vision, we know the way. Yeah, you know, the biggest purpose that they talked about in the Book of Mormon videos and the filming of them was for people who are unable to read and to be able to bring God to them in a manner that they can consume that media and be filled with the love of God. That really helped me to realize that um, there are people out there that don't know God or don't know of Him. So Rosalind, would you mind uh, describing a little bit about what the Lord has provided for us to keep us going towards the tree of life? Yeah, here in verse 25, it came to pass that I beheld that the rod of iron, which my father had seen was the word of God. So the word of God is what takes us and connects us to God um, and shows us the way to return to him. That's beautiful. What I think is also interesting in studying John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And in the footnotes, it says that that is Jesus or Jehovah. And I think that's interesting that the iron rod, which is the word of God in this verse 25, it actually indirectly mentions Jesus three times. The rod is not just words on the page. It's, it's a person and it's Jesus. And, it, and it's important for us to develop a relationship with him in order to arrive to him. And, you know, it's been observed so often how you can hardly turn a page in the Book of Mormon without finding a reference to Christ. I don't think there ever was a book that is full of Jesus Christ as the Book of Mormon is. What a wonderful conversation on our first topic of how God sent Jesus Christ as an expression of His love. And for the audience, you've been so wonderful. Thanks for sharing with us as well. And for those at home, how have you gained a witness of God's love? Share with us on any of our social media platforms. Being good enough is one of the daily battles that I face. One of the battles that I face daily is comparing myself to others. Just struggling with school and like bad influences with friends. I feel like it's hard to get up some days. I'm receiving fertility treatment and you know, the nature of this journey is that there are a lot of downs than ups, to be very frank. I'm arming myself for daily battles um, by praying daily for strength. By reading my scriptures, by magnifying my calling. By praying each morning and reading my scriptures each morning. By immersing myself in the scriptures and in prayer. And that way I know that our Heavenly Father is aware of me and I have have worth in His eyes, and that's all that matters. It really helps me when I feel like nobody understands what I'm going through or how I'm feeling to know um, that Jesus Christ has suffered for all of our sins and has felt everything that we've felt. And I know that He has felt the things that I'm feeling and understands, and that helps me to feel peace. So the next topic we're gonna to be looking at is I can be armed with righteousness and power. Rosalind, do you mind setting up this next discussion for us? Yes, Nephi has been experiencing this amazing vision of God's work through history, um, and they eventually come to the latter days. And Nephi begins to see the forces of righteousness and the forces of evil organizing into two great bodies. And, and there's a very important question that's raised here, which is, what are we going to do? Who are we going to join? And that gets us right into chapter 14. So before we get too uh, much into chapter 14, we had a question that came in from one of our viewers that I'm hoping that we can just watch it and then discuss it. Hi, my name is Jada. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. And today my question is, when I pray, how do I know if I received an answer from Heavenly Father or if it's just myself telling me what I want to hear? No, I think it's a really great question. What are some of your thoughts? The scripture that, that comes to mind, because um, I also uh, had this question, and um, I was reading in Moroni, and Moroni essentially says this, Wherefore, all things which are good cometh of God, and that which is evil cometh of the devil. For the devil is an enemy unto God, and fighteth against him continually, and inviteth and enticeth to sin and to do that which is evil continually. But behold, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve Him is inspired of God. I find that to be a really good response to that because we are all naturally blessed with the light of Christ. Mm -hmm. And essentially what that is, is just the knowledge of what is good and evil because of Adam and Eve. And so we can be able to discern what is good and what is evil. And if the answer that you get 
from God is good, then you can assume that is mm-hmm. from him. Whether you think it's from your own mind or not, it's from God. Yes. That's great. Rosalind? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, if you have examined your heart and you have left time for the Spirit to speak to you and you're confident that indeed the course that you've settled on is leading you to Christ and to good, I don't think we need to worry too much if, if it comes from our own mind mm-hmm. because God wants to partner with us. Yeah, I think it's so uh, fitting that Jackson shared that scripture with us because it really paints a picture of what Nephi is doing in this chapter, chapter 14. He's trying to create for us this image of the church of the lamb versus the church of the devil, good versus evil. Can you walk us through what, what Nephi is seeing in this vision? Yeah, we've, we've come here, as I said, to the latter days, and he's seeing two dis- very distinct groups emerge. And as you said, one of them he's told is the church of the lamb, and the other is the church of the devil. And, and the question for the Gentiles is, who are you going to join, right? Who are you going to ally yourself with? So yeah, let's look at chapter 14, verse 14. It came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth and they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. So it looks like we're not talking about specific individual organizations or churches, right? Instead, we're talking about something a little bit more fundamental. And um, the saints of the church of the Lamb are the covenant people of the Lord. If we look in verse 12, I beheld the church of the Lamb of God and its numbers were few because of the wickedness of the age. It's the, it's the minority of those who are in a covenant relationship with God around the world that are preparing where they are for the second coming. Jackson, what are your thoughts as you portray this role of Nephi? How do you feel like you were armed with God's power? Uh, a very specific experience is coming to mind. Nephi has to lecture his brothers. And I had a really hard time trying to portray that in a natural way. And we got to the point where Nephi is getting beat up. And we shot the beating up scene like 20 times we must have. It was a lot. We took a break in between when Nephi says the prayer to burst the bands. And I thought I was going to be ripping the, the rope open, but realized that it said loosed in the scriptures. Uh-huh. And the scholars came up and said, actually, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to burst the bands today. <laughs> so um, I didn't. I, and so they were prepping to do that whole scene. And I had envisioned in my head how I was gonna portray it and it was gonna come across fantastic. And I was sitting in the chair and I remembered back to an apostolic blessing that Elder Christofferson gave the people who were shooting that season. And he said that we would be able to feel the things that those people felt. And in the moment, for some reason, I couldn't like lift my arms to let them put the makeup on. I was like, I'm fine, but like my elbows are sore and like I can't lift my arms to like drink water. I felt like a total wimp because I just like couldn't like lift my body up. And it was a really strange experience. And they tied me up and I just had this overwhelming feeling come over me. And I didn't think that I was going to get emotional during this scene but an overwhelming feeling of sadness just came over me that my brothers would do that to me. And uh, it was a really powerful experience. 
And it reminded me as to how Jesus feels when we betray him. If I didn't hate his brothers, he loved them through it. The Spirit was the strongest that day on set. And I felt God's love for others, a love that I didn't know I could feel. That's beautiful. Thank you, Jackson. Wow. If we are keeping our covenants, if we are keeping the commandments, then that's how we have the power to resist and overcome. What are some of your thoughts on, on how does that actually work? How do we arm ourselves? How do we ensure that when we're put in situations, have that ability to overcome some of the darkness and evil that is out there? I think it's about living in a covenant relationship with the Lord, just as, as we've been talking about. Nephi comes back to covenant again and again and again. The covenant is the through line across mm -hmm. this, this big historical arc. So if we're living in that covenant relationship, we can call on the power of God to help us meet our righteous aims and to arm us with that power. I am blessed to have four children. I love being a mother but I experienced a very difficult period of postpartum depression after each one of my children was born. And I remember thinking, I'm not capable of doing this. It really rocked my world. But you know what, I was able to. I was able to do it. And looking back, um, I think it has to do with the power of my covenants. I had been, been sealed in the temple and this child was born in the covenant and I was given the strength to make it through. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't wanna go back to those, those dark months, um, but I made it through and my love for my, my children was even stronger because we came through those early months together. What else can you teach us about what Nephi is seeing with this vision of the church of the Lamb of God and the church of the devil? Yeah, so let's look in verse 10 here of chapter 14. The angel says to Nephi, Behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God belongeth to that great church, which is the mother of abominations, and she is the whore of all the earth. Um, it's people who are actively opposing um, the, the work of the Church of the Lamb. We learn a little bit more about what, what are the characteristics of, of this movement um, in chapter 13, verse 4. It came to pass that I saw among the nations of the Gentiles the formation of a great church. And the angel said to me, Behold the formation of the church, which is most abominable above all other churches. And I saw gold and silver and silks and scarlets and fine twined linen and all manner of precious clothing. And I saw many harlots. And also for the praise of the world, do they destroy the saints of God and bring them down into captivity. It's the forces of pride. Mm -hmm. It's the forces of oppression. It's the forces of injustice. And we want to be careful, I think, about falling into really black and white us and them thinking. Mm -hmm. It can be dangerous to be too convinced that we're the righteous ones and they over there are the evil ones. I think if we search our own hearts, we can find the, that materialism, right? Mm -hmm. Touches of that vanity, um, touches of the desire to control other people. So it's a matter of us examining our own hearts and then making the choice, whose side am I going to be on? And, and piggybacking off of that, you know, not only can we recognize ways that we can improve, but also there's so much good in the world out there that we mm -hmm. fail to recognize because we decide to put people in these categories of good and evil. I'd love to hear from the audience on how you have seen God demonstrate His power in your life. Summer. 
Um, I feel like God has just always been a presence in my life, even if it's not just the miracles and the big things that happen. It's like the assurance that He's there and that He loves you at all times. Sometimes you can forget or not be in the mindset to feel His love, but when you're reading scriptures or really pondering on your testimony, I especially feel um, His love and that He's there for me. And that's just such a powerful feeling. And it just gives you so much more confidence in your life. That's so great, Summer. So Jackson, in the scriptures, we have so many examples of Nephi being empowered. What other moments can you share with us where you really felt that God was empowering you to be able to portray such an iconic character? The whole experience was empowering for me. I was able to understand Nephi as he grew up. And the most empowering experience that I had with that is in, there are many times in the scriptures where Nephi is lecturing his brothers, essentially. Mm -hmm. And we, we talked about how I struggled to try to make that natural. Um, but one of the directors at one point came up to me and he asked me, what's your, what's your favorite scripture? I was like, oh, well, it's uh, Alma 48:17." He's like, okay, well, yeah, like, tell me what it is. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, it says, really, really, I stand to you. He's like, stop. No, like, I want you to say it. Like, it's the first time it's ever been said. And when I recited the words, I felt the spirit very strong and empowering me in that method to then give me the ability to recite my lines in a, in a much more natural way. And just taking that and applying it to today, the scriptures are absolutely applicable to our lives. And if we can think in that mindset of like, think of it like it's the first time it's ever been said, they hold that much more power. Well, I, I love that. Um, you know, we see Nephi in the book of First Nephi in all these different amazing scenarios that you portrayed so well. And he's powerful. He's a powerful character. We talked earlier about how God works with the resources that we have, our mm -hmm. own gifts. And Nephi was a gifted visionary. And the, the real power of Christ is full of gentleness and meekness and love. Jackson, how does prayer factor in your ability to be armed with righteousness and power? I think sincere prayer is extremely important. And like Rosalind mentioned earlier, the stillness that occurs after is really important to arm yourself with righteousness because you, you need to remind yourself as to who the goal is every mm -hmm. day. And when you remind yourself that Jesus is the goal, then you're constantly reminded as to how you should act throughout that day. And I also said sincere is also important in that because you want to be careful not to get caught in the vain repetitions mm -hmm. of just saying the same prayer or asking for the same things because then it loses its substance. Are there specific things that you do to, to get out of the habit, make sure that every prayer is sincere? Personally, I address God with a different name Okay. every prayer. Sometimes I'll say Heavenly Father, other times I'll just say Father, whether it's God, uh, just to remind myself who I'm talking to okay. so I don't fall into the repetition of Dear Heavenly Father and forget mm -hmm. as to who I'm speaking to, that He is deity. That's a great idea. Jackson giving me a lot of ideas on how to improve my life all around. This is great. Well, thank you both so much for contributing and participating in our discussion on how God can 
arm us with righteousness and power. And for the audience, you've been so great. Thanks for being here and sharing with us your thoughts and experiences as well. And for those at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes. Stay with us. I love my personal scripture study. I always start with a prayer, just asking that um, I'll see the things that I need to see and feel the things that I need to feel. A few years ago, I decided that if I have time to wake up early in the morning for, for exercise, I can wake up early in the morning to read the scriptures. I like reading the scriptures straight from the scriptures first, but then there's so many great resources out there with Come Follow Me, the, what, you know, the manual that church puts out. I feel like it's really insightful, and then I love listening to a bunch of different podcasts. One of the things I've learned through trial and error is to listen to my needs. And so I don't study the same all the time. I have different studies I do. Um, I personally read one verse of scripture each night and try to ponder it and focus on the meaning instead of just reading it. Whether it's before my family gets up or whether it's standing in line and using that time to study scriptures on my phone rather than scroll, um, I feel like that can, just when I'm more proactive, it's a lot more meaningful. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from 1 Nephi chapters 11 through 15 with Rosalind and Jackson. We're also joined by Nick Frederick. Nick is a gospel scholar with an expertise in the relationship between biblical and Latter-day Scripture. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Okay, Roslyn, so um, I'd love to jump back in and talk about some of the things that we uh, didn't really get a good chance to dive in on, uh, specifically talking about uh, some of the plain and precious things that we see from this other book that is mentioned that were left out. Would you mind kind of walking us through that? Yeah. Nephi is chugging on this monumental panoramic vision. And suddenly in the middle of 13, something new enters the frame. Let's look in verse 20 of chapter 13. It came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld that they, that is the Gentiles, did prosper in the land. And I beheld a book and it was carried forth among them. So suddenly we're going to start talking about books and records. And we're in, in a way, we're going to retread the history that we've just seen through the history of, of ethnic peoples, but now we're gonna see it from the perspective of their books. So what we see is this, this book, we understand it, of course, to be the Bible. The, it proceeded forth out of the mouth of a Jew in verse 23. It's the record of the Jewish people, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but something has happened to this book. Let's look in verse 28 here. Wherefore thou seest that after the book hath gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. So we're left in a difficult place. The people of the Gentiles are in the thrall of the church of the devil. The people, the descendant of Lehi are in a, a state of great um, decay and apostasy. And their book, their sacred book has been injured and destroyed. What's going to come in here to solve the problem? Well, it happens through another book. So let's look here in verse 35. For behold, saith the Lamb, I will manifest myself unto thy seed, so that is to the remnant of the house of Lehi, that they shall write many things which I shall minister unto them, which shall be plain and precious. 
And after thy seed shall be destroyed and dwindle in unbelief, and also the seed of thy brethren, behold, these things shall be hid up to come forth unto the Gentiles by the gift and power of the Lamb. And in them shall be written my gospel, saith the Lamb, and my rock and my salvation. So here he's describing the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, the dawning of the restoration. And through this book, God then will be able to accomplish his largest scale saving purpose in the world. Nick, what are your thoughts? What I find interesting about this is he seems to have in mind here, specifically Third Nephi, right, where he manifests himself into a seed and brings forth the things that are plain and precious. It's almost like Third Nephi itself is supposed to play that healing role, right, in putting the book back together, that focus on the Savior's ministry with this heavy, heavy covenant emphasis, right, which has kind of been Nephi, the, the drum he's been pounding the entire way through, covenant, 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 covenant history, and the role that that particular moment, the Savior's ministry to the Nephites, is going to kind of realign covenantal history. Okay, so Jackson, how did you see the Book of Mormon as a powerful tool in helping bring others to Christ? That's a great question. And really the answer is it, it's an ensign unto the nations is what it says is in the scriptures that the Lord will put up his flag and the Book of Mormon is that flag to let people know that this is the church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's why as missionaries, we invite people to read and pray and ponder about the Book of Mormon because if the Book of Mormon is true, then the tree which it comes from is also true. I love that. Can I say something just about the mechanism, the nature of the losing the plain and precious truths? Yeah. So verse 26, right? After they go forth by the hand of the 12 apostles of the Lamb from the Jews unto the Gentiles, Thou seest the formation of that great and abominable church, which is most abominable of all of your churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and precious, and also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. So the question that occurs to me is, how does this happen? Right? And I think on one level we have this idea that this great and abominable church is just taking those things out. Right? That there were books in the Bible that should be there, but when it goes from the Jew to the Gentile, something happens and they're just taken out. But as a student of the Bible, and it's where I spent a lot of my time, the Bible, if you look back at the early centuries, the New especially the New Testament, the tradition's actually pretty secure as far as these manuscripts go. And so this kind of idea of maybe just monks leaning over the New Testament, just scratching things out, <laughs> things like that, really doesn't hold up. And so the question I have is, is there something else going on here in the sense that it isn't just that texts are taken out, it's that those who read the book in the latter days won't possess the tools to know what they're reading because okay. third Nephi is this covenant text. And so the pieces are still there in the Bible, but we've lost the ability to read it in a covenant centric way that third Nephi then realigns for us and wow. says scripture is read from a covenant perspective. Now apply that to the new Testament. And so I, I wonder if that's a, a different way we could read it that doesn't necessarily toss the Bible out and say we can't rely on it. Right, right. Nephi actually alludes to that in Second Nephi when he talks about, when he is like revealing these plain and precious truths. He mentions this in Second Nephi 25, verse one. He says, now I, Nephi, do speak somewhat concerning the words which I have written, which have been spoken by the mouth of Isaiah. For behold, Isaiah spake many things which were hard for many of my people to understand. For they know not concerning the manner of prophesying among the Jews. Nephi understanding the prophesying among the Jews, being a Jew himself, was able to clarify that in the Book of Mormon, which is why those plain and precious truths are restored in this book rather than being etched out. Mm -hmm. And it also makes sense of the fact that the key moment seems to be when it goes from the mouth of the Jew 
to the mouth of the Gentile. The Jews are going to be more covenant-centric than the Gentiles are, and as we get more into a Gentile church, covenant's going to be emphasized less and less and less. And so some of those passages from the scriptures that are really covenant-centric are just, the interpretation is just going to get lost. And I love, as Nephi is explaining to his brothers what the restoration will be, he puts it here in verse 14 in a way that I really love. And at that day shall the remnant of our seed know that they are of the house of Israel and that they are of the covenant people of the Lord. So what the restoration does is it restores our understanding of who we are in relationship to God. We are the covenant people. And that I think is the lens that was lost. And without that, none of it really comes together at all. So what would you say are some of the plain and precious truths from the Book of Mormon that is missing from other books? I think that you, you can still read the Old Testament, you can still read the New Testament, you got texts like Isaiah, you have texts like Romans, where you're going to see an emphasis on covenant. You're going to see an emphasis on house of Israel. But if you're not looking for it, it's not going to be explicit in the text. You might get lost in a world of ordinance ritual, for example, baptism. I, with the Book of Mormon, again, the focus throughout this entire thing from chapter 11 through chapter 14 is that Jesus is the Messiah who's going to save the house of Israel. And those who come into the house of Israel through this book are, are, are going to be heirs of that kingdom. It's, it's there in the Old Testament, it's there in the New Testament, but the Book of Mormon just puts it front and center for us. They're very yeah. plainly just Absolutely. spelled out. Yeah, I think sometimes we need that plainness. I think another thing that the Book of Mormon contributes uniquely is this idea that God speaks to every people, and Jackson was getting towards this, right? That he speaks to every people in their language and he gives them their own sacred record and that we're meant to share and circulate those records. They're meant to go from one people to another. And that's a part of the gathering as well. Um, here in chapter 13, um, Nephi sees these additional records coming forth. And after it had come forth unto them, I beheld other books which came forth by the power of the Lamb from the Gentiles unto them, that is the remnant of his seed, unto the convincing of the Gentiles and the remnant of the seed of my brethren, and also the Jews who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. So here are these three groups that Nephi is tracking, right, in his vision that the records of the prophets and of the 12 apostles of the Lamb are true. And then he goes on to say how God will reveal himself to all, all the peoples together. And in, it's the joining, of their, the joining and the sharing of their sacred records that God's purposes are accomplished. Yeah, there really is a nice touch here where the, the book of one people saves another people. The importance of records, the importance of the message being passed on from generation to generation, because that becomes the mechanism, right, of, of, that, of that good news mm -hmm. for salvation. So something we had touched on uh, a little bit in uh, the earlier segment, you have Nephi keeping all these records, and then he mentions how somebody named John is going to finish this record, uh, of course, pointing to the book of Revelation. Would you mind speaking to us about the connection between what we see here and the, the book of Revelation? Yeah, so it's really interesting. If you look at just the genre of this section, 11 through 14, it really falls nicely into the genre of apocalyptic literature which just means unveiling. God is going to unveil things to his people kind of from his perspective. He's gonna take the seer, in this case Nephi, or John in the book of Revelation, a door is gonna open in heaven and they're gonna see things from God's perspective. And so often you'll have these symbols and images and things like that as we try to make sense of what things look like from God's perspective. But it seems like what John does in the book of Revelation and what Nephi sees here are by and large the same vision. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to me because you have, if you, if you look at chapter 14, 
All right, and you go to 21. Behold, he shall see and write the remainder of these things, yea, and also many things which have been, and he shall also write concerning the end of the world. Wherefore, the things which he shall write are just and true, and behold, they are written in the book which thou hast beheld proceeding out of the mouth of the Jew. It's very rare in the Book of Mormon for an, a Book of Mormon author to have the voice of the angel to be testifying to the validity of a book. You know, Nephi does this to some extent with Isaiah, but the book of Revelation, in a way that no other New Testament book is, is kind of held up as a book, a realized piece of literature that needs to be studied. And it's, to me, again, fascinating to continue this discussion of plain and precious. If you look at the end of verse 23, the things which were written were plain and pure and most precious and easy to the understanding of all men. My guess is that a lot of people who read the book of Revelation today would not say it's plain and easy to be understood, right? Well, it's not because the book of Revelation's changed. It's because we don't know how to read the book of Revelation. Nephi's like, for me and my people, we got it. For us today, we're like, what do, what do I do with this book, <laughs> right? But the book of Mormon really points to the book of Revelation as a key text, right, that we need to be able to understand and realize um, if we want to understand the Savior's mission. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to go back and look just for a second on the plain impressions, things that were removed. What are some of your thoughts on, on the purposes behind it and what do we really see going on here? Yeah, sometimes just removing a, a verse here and there, right? A, a mention of, of the atonement, say in Luke 22. You have verses 43 and 44 in Luke 22 that are kind of held up by some churches as not being original to the Gospel of Luke. Well, those are powerful verses about the nature of the atonement. Luckily, we have Mosiah 3, which tells us that Jesus bled from every pore. We don't have to worry about what's going on in Luke, but you simply just, you call us a verse or two into suspicion, all of a sudden people don't know quite what to do with it. Mm. But, you know, I, I, I think it's really important to understand chapter 13, it's a it's a historical organization, it's a church that is doing something to the text. Chapter 14, now we pull back and we say typologically, You've got the Church of the Lamb, and everyone else is the Church of the Devil, and as President Oak said, it's any philosophy or organization that opposes belief in Jesus Christ. One thing that we do know um, about the, the Church of the Devil or the Great and Abominable Church in the last days is that it is the majority. So how do we confront that reality? I think we do that when we're armed with the power of God. That then will give us the perspective that we need to recognize where evil must be resisted and to do it in the Savior's way. I think that our, that our prophets guide us very wisely um, in, in the ways that we still need to love our neighbors. We will always be a minority and we need to have good relationships with them while staying firm to what we know to be true. Essentially anything that is good is of God. And if I can find good in these other peoples or other religions, then I can see that. Because we also know that it's not, we are the fullness of the gospel. That doesn't mean that the other parts that of the gospel that are plain and precious are scattered throughout. Mm-hmm. The people have them and they live by them. And that's just kind of the perspective that I have on it is that if it's good, it's of God. If it's evil, it's of the devil. And we have the ability to discern that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love this conversation. I mean, this, it really does go to the heart, as you say, of what apocalyptic literature does. And I mean, the point at the end of the day is that God wins, right? As, as we see in chapter 14, God always wins, evil is always destroyed. It's the challenge of the believer to figure out what side that is. A lot of people out there have a lot of good and they're good people and they have truth and we, we could benefit from listening to them. And I think, again, that's Satan at work. He gets us questioning the people who should be on our side as members of the Church of the Lamb and we completely ignore the church, the devil rising up all around us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I actually want to reference the 
a scripture in Third Nephi made me think of when Christ came to the Americas and uh, he teaches his doctrine. Third Nephi 11, verse 29, For verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention. And he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. And President Nelson talks about this a lot, and I feel like it's a great way to govern ourselves and knowing if a conversation or our attitude towards something is Christ-like, is, mm-hmm. is it contentious? Because Christ would not go down that path. That is not his doctrine, and that's of the devil. And we can dictate our own lives based on our attitude towards things, our, our interactions with people, if it's contentious and evil versus if it's good and peaceful and loving. And I think we can see that when we identify ourselves as, as sons and daughters of God, children of the covenant, and disciples of Jesus Christ. If that's the first thing you connect on with somebody, you could have such wonderful conversations on so many things and not make it contentious. Yeah. So there's a lot that's going on in, in these chapters. Uh, is there any, anywhere else you want to take us? Uh, one of the things that really, again, fascinates me about this block is trying to process this from Nephi's perspective. He's still not married, he's still in the old world, and he already knows the end. Um, He's already seen the destruction of his seed, right? And the impact that must have had on him. But as as we look at the themes of these chapters, right? Chapter 11 is about the mortal Messiah. Chapter 12 then turns the scattering of Israel. Chapter 13, the gathering of Israel in the latter days. And then chapter 14, the triumphant Messiah who's gonna come at the second coming. And you ask yourself, well, who else in scripture really hits those themes hard? And it's Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Right, the, most of the text of Isaiah is kind of jumping around from those four different themes. And so you can kind of see perhaps the, the genesis of Nephi's love of Isaiah coming from this vision as he recognizes, hey, here's someone who's had a similar experience that I have had. Here's somebody who's talking about things that I need to make sure I understand and that I pass on to my readers. And he gives a preview of that, right? In, in chapter 15, when he goes back and he's debriefing with his brothers, He's already thinking, yeah. he's already turned that way in verse, verse 20. I did rehearse unto them the words of Isaiah who spake concerning the restoration of the Jews or of the house of Israel. And after they were restored, they should be no more confounded, neither should they be scattered again. So mm-hmm. he sees already in Isaiah, this is the great prophet of the gathering. Yeah. Um, something I like to do as you know, I'm, we're going through a block is, are there any favorite scriptures or passages that stand out to you that have taught you or that you've learned specifically from within uh, this block? Yeah, do you want me to go? Yes, please, go right ahead. So I'll just stay in chapter 11. And Nephi's here because he wants to see the things his father saw. And it came to pass after I'd seen the tree, I said in the spirit, I behold thou hast shown me the tree which is precious above all. And he said unto me, what desirest thou? And I feel like this is a turning point for Nephi. He got exactly what he wanted. Mm-hmm. He prayed to see what his father saw and he got it. He could have very easily said, I'm good, I'm done. Right, and how many times have I perhaps had a similar experience where I've prayed for something God gives it to me, and I say, okay, I guess, I guess we're done. I got what I wanted, so we're done. So I love Nephi's response. Next verse, verse 11, I said unto him to know the interpretation thereof. I wanna know what it means. I wanna have a conversation about what I just saw. And so Nephi here just reminds me, don't stop the conversation. If God wants to stop it, you can stop the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I shouldn't be the one to say, I guess we're done. And the result is four incredible chapters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite scripture from these chapters is 1 Nephi chapter 11, verse 1, where Nephi says, 
For it came to pass, after I had desired to know the things that my father had seen, and believing that the Lord was able to make them known unto me, I sat pondering in mine heart. The reason I like this attitude that Nephi has, it's an attitude of question. Mm -hmm. And it's the attitude that started the restoration of this church. And I think that we need to continue having the attitude of questioning. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Is my father right? Should I believe the things that my father said? Nephi said, oh, pondering in his heart and pondering isn't just asking a simple question. He's, he's wondering and he's concerned. So I have a lot of just unanswered questions and I continue to ask more. And, and that's just what the Lord wants us to do. He just per, keeps providing examples of prophets mm -hmm. that do that. You know, Nephi's a great one. Joseph Smith is another one. Mm -hmm. You could list a bunch, but you need to always be asking. You need to always be pursuing the mysteries of God. That's, that's my personal take on that. And that's why I, I love the proceedings of this, these chapters because it's an answer to a question. Mm -hmm. And if we can continue having that attitude as disciples of Christ and as children of God, he'll answer us. He promises us multiple times in the, the scriptures that he will answer us. And it's one of the most powerful examples. All right, Jackson. So I wanna uh, end on you describing with everything you went through, preparing for the role, portraying the role, and even the aftermath of that experience, how would you say that has strengthened your testimony or drawn you closer to Jesus Christ? It's helped me to realize that he is the master. And I think that's what's highlighted in these chapters. It's all about Jesus and he's at the center of it all. And he is the one that saves us. And everyone else around us, the prophets, um, our bishops, those who are our, our families, those who help us get to Christ are just there to help us mm -hmm. while he is the goal. And um, like I said earlier, I had a hard time relating with the prophets and being able to step into that place to see, no, there doesn't need to be anyone else between God and me helped me to realize that Christ is the master and he's my friend. I love it. Thank you so much. Rosalind, Nick, thank you so much for helping us learn so much from, from what is being taught here. Jackson, it's been a pleasure. I love hearing not only your account and your experiences, but just the insights that you bring from the scriptures and your overall spirit is so great. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you today. Thank you for having me. And for those at home, thank you for joining us for this discussion from 1 Nephi chapters 11 through 15. Visit byutv.org slash come follow up for more study and teaching resources. And join us next week as we study 1 Nephi chapters 16 through 22 and discuss how the Lord helps us in our challenges, guiding us by small and simple means. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 